Welcome to the Life Giver Sunday Special. If we truly want to become a life giver in our home and marriage, we have to go to the Creator of life and allow Him to breathe life back into our own heart. The Life Giver Sunday Special is still a place for honest conversation, but it will aim to encourage your faith and restore your soul. Welcome to the Life Giver Podcast. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and a special welcome to Megan Brown, who's joining us for another Sunday special. If you have been following for season four, you know we are doing once a month Sunday specials, where we are going a little bit more faith-based. We're diving deeper into conversations about our home life, family, marriage, and our relationship with God, and taking those honest conversations to a much deeper level. So I have to tell everybody that I officially got to meet you, Megan, at the Military Spouse of the Year Awards um, this year in DC. Um, I've seen little bits of you here and there with um, If Military. We're going to talk all about that here in just a minute. But um, if you've heard about If Gathering, it is, I'm going to let Megan do a better job than I am because I'm going to butcher this, but it is an opportunity for people to get together who have common ground in their faith and worship together, learn together, and hear some great speakers. And Megan has done such a great job um, really spreading the word on that in our military community. And I saw her from a distance doing this. And so when I got to meet her in DC, um, I was so inspired and so encouraged. And I just knew I needed to have her on the podcast for a Sunday special where you guys could hear her too. So Megan, just welcome to the podcast. I'm so grateful that you're here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Um, so I can't wait to talk about some of the things that we're going to be visiting today about biblical friendship, about relationships, about levels of intimacy. But really, I, I'm excited because I love what's happening in the military community today. There are some amazing things that are growing and flourishing, and it's just so beautiful to watch. So um, I serve in a few capacities. I am a military missionary. My husband and I, we kind of view this lifestyle as a way to perpetually live on mission. We live on installation. We open up our home. We teach Bible studies, build biblical community. We church plant. Um, we do all of this because we are head over heels in love with the word of God and, and just with the gospel pushes us to do in our communities. And so as a result of that, um, you know, we've really been working in that space. And not too long ago, in about February of this year, If Gathering decided to officially launch a new ministry arm. Now, If Gathering is based out of Dallas, Texas, founded by Jenny Allen. You may have seen one of her amazing books at Lifeway, Proven, um, and also uh, Restless, Chase, there's some stuck, there's some great resources out there by Jenny Allen. So in 2014, she asked herself a very important question. If God is real, then what? And if God is real, then we have a job to do. And that looks like discipleship. So if gathering exists to give women gospel-centered resources, events, um, atmospheres to come together around the word of God and empower each other to share Jesus in their local places. And, and they do that primarily in three ways. So they start with if tables, if tables are six women, two hours, and four biblical conversation cards, it's really a place where you can come together and, and just celebrate the word of God around a meal. It's, it's really exciting. And so the next way, uh, they have if equip Bible studies. So they're very, very, very in-depth gospel-centered resources to help you come together in accountability around the word of God weekly or bi-weekly or whatever works for your group. And then finally, they have their big gathering in Dallas, which was amazing. Uh, this year, we've got another conference coming in September called If Lead. Tickets are on sale now, and they will sell out quick. So if you want to check it out, go to ifgathering.com and check it out. But um, they realize that the military is special and that there's something very unique about the things that we face, um, the obstacles that we have to walk through. And so they decided to launch a ministry arm, very specific, tailored these three programs for us. And, and this is the dream, um, that an if table would have a seat open and ready. Could you imagine going through a PCS or a deployment or even just tough circumstances and knowing that there is a table of six women with an open seat ready for you? It just makes my heart excited. <laughs> so um, I, I love what they're doing in that space. And so um, when they launched, I, I was brought on as a Air Force branch coach. 
And then um, through some really exciting opportunities, I was able to transition into a different role. So now I am the communications coach for If Military. And, and really my job is to just get the word out about this amazing opportunity to come together around God's word and the gospel. And so uh, be sure to check it out. It's If Military, uh, ifgathering.com slash military. And it's, it's kind of amazing. And I was so glad to meet you too, Corey. Ah. <laughs> well, Megan, it's been a joy to actually see you um, in person, to hear how you are encouraging. You know, every morning we were getting together at the Military Spouse of the Year Awards, a small group of us getting together to do a devotional in the morning, and you were leading out on those devotionals. And it was so amazing. Uh, my favorite thing, obviously, I talk a lot about strengths at various places and on the podcast. I love seeing people do what they're created to do. I um, tears come to my eyes and they came to my eyes the other day watching you, um, seeing your talent and seeing you doing exactly what God has created you to do. It was the most beautiful thing ever. So share a little bit about what's been on your mind um, this week and this morning. So, so uh, when we were in Biloxi, we built a really strong faith community and, and out of that community, we were able to assist in a church plant. And, and, and the way I served at that plant was I served as a community group director um, I have a core belief, and, and I think these core beliefs are the things that really dictate every aspect of our lives. I believe in my heart of hearts and the very being of my soul that community is the difference between life and death, and that is in normal, everyday life. So if you are not military and you're thinking, well, you know, my life is not as crazy as y'all's, um, my life doesn't look like that, my husband comes home pretty regularly, you know, I don't have these crazy things. Uh, to you, I would say community is life and death. Um, to military spouses out there buried in a season of waiting or long suffering or deployment, community is the difference between life and death. Um, community is the way that we really respond to the gospel. And so I, I'm passionate about community, not only because it is the difference between life and death, but because also community is the way that the gospel travels. And so the, the, my favorite scripture about community is Acts 2, 42 through 47. It talks about a growing and, and flourishing church. Um, and basically they're, they're talking about us. We're the church, not the building. So these people, this people group were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and praying for one another. And, and in verse 47, it's my favorite. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. God does things through community. And so while community does serve us, that's not its serving purpose. Its purpose is to not only bring glory to God, but, but to share his story to the ends of the earth through community. And so some of the topics that are very, very near and dear to my heart, one that I want to talk about this morning is friendship and, and how those begin and how they sustain and how through those friendships, communities are built and how through those communities, the gospel is pushed. And, and I kind of want to spend some time giving us a little bit of peace of mind and freedom from the really unrealistic expectations that the world will put on you for friendships. Uh, the world will tell you that all friendships have to be equal. All of them have to be equally served and nurtured and cared for. And that you have a responsibility not only to be a perfect woman and wife and mother, but also that you have to be a perfect friend. And, and all of that is just kind of flawed. I mean, I, nowhere in the Bible does it say that. So, I, yeah. This is, this is why I think this is so important because, um, you know, you made a really strong statement there when you said that community is life or life and death mm -hmm. because, and I would agree with you, but that's a pretty strong statement, right? And so, you know, when I pulled military and first responder spouses on just kind of doing a how's everybody doing, an anonymous survey, I think it was 750 actually took the survey. And um, what we talked about in the first episode was some of the results of that and, and how sad some of the results are, which is people are very lonely. Mm -hmm. People are feeling very isolated. And I can't tell you the number of people that are tired and weary from having to move to a new location, find those friendships, dive deep with those friendships, and then still walk away feeling lonely. Yeah. And so when you have that statement that's so strong, that this community is life and death, how do you respond to somebody who is so weary that wants community, but at the same time is starting to isolate themselves because they don't know if they can keep doing it anymore? 
So I think it starts with the fundamental understanding that the enemy is after everything that we have. He's after our relationship with the Lord. He's after our relationship with our spouses, with our children, with our friends, with our church family. Every single aspect of our lives is constantly going to be under attack as a follower of Christ. There's this really false doctrine floating around that once you become a believer, everything is kind of great. Uh, you have this built-in family of friends and there's really no hard work in that, that you just show up to the church and automatically you have all these friends and you're never ill and you're never sick and may or may not involve large sums of money. Um, but it, there's this really bad doctrine out there that once you become a believer, that all these things are a given. Um, but the truth is hard. And the truth is this, that, that, that relationships take hard work, that life on life, discipleship and living in community is super messy and requires us to daily practice patience, forgiveness, mercy, um, and understanding. And so I, I would say to that person who is super weary, I would examine the method of which you've been pursuing community. Where have you looked for community? How have these relationships gone? What seems to be the disconnect? Because th this is what I firmly believe. And, and please hear me say, I am not telling you to try harder because man, that is sometimes how this can come across. Well, just try harder. That is so not what I'm gonna say. Um, I, want, I want you to imagine or, or focus on where have you been and how did you get here? What are the causes of the weariness and the loneliness? I think that one of the biggest things that we miss is that uh, true community is really based, firmly rooted in the gospel and the word of God. And so where do we find community around the word of God? Well, it's the local church. So if you are not part of a local church, and by part of a local church, I don't mean that you sit in the service on Sunday. I mean that you are an active, functioning body part in that living body of believers. You have a function there. You serve there. You've met with the pastor. You've, you've submitted your gifts. You've asked for guidance to find your gift because maybe you haven't found that yet. And that's totally okay. Maybe all you can do is pour coffee once every six to eight weeks in the welcome, in the welcome committee but you have a function and a place of belonging in that church. And if you don't have that, that's, that's step one. Step one is find a place that preaches the gospel and preaches it often and go there as often as possible um, and submit yourself to the leadership and the community of that church. When you do that, you take the pressure off of having to do what I like to call the single white female post on Facebook, right? We've all been there, especially us military wives on the spouses page. You know who I'm talking to. We get on there and we're like, hi, my name is Sarah and I love Chick-fil-A and Target and Starbucks pumpkin spice lattes. I have 2.5 children and one minivan. Somebody please, for the love of all things, talk to me, please. Anyone? Yes. Anyone want to go to Target yes. with me? Um, I'm reading this really cool book. I don't care if we meet and talk about it in the park somebody help um it takes the pressure and the strangeness out of that because you will meet people that live where you live you will meet people that worship where you worship and you will meet people who fundamentally understand the love of god so the second thing i would say just as a tip kind of a disclaimer if you're making friends or building relationships based on personal preference, those things are good. I mean, there are shows that I like to watch. There are things that I think are funny or there, you know, I, you can catch me at Chick-fil-A every day. I love some Chick-fil-A, but if your friendship is only built on the things you love and, and I might get ready, you might need a podiatrist. I'm about to step on some toes. Or if you have friends based only on the things you hate, you might want to realize that might be why you're re really weary. Um, your friendships are not rooted in things that are eternal. They're rooted in things that are temporal. And temporal things make me tired. And they make you tired. And so if you're weary, I would ask really why. If you're not part of a church, that's, that's fix one. And then two, just examine the nature of your relationships and where they're rooted. First quality I look for in someone that I think is going to be a potential inner circle friend is does she love the Lord? And when I mean love the Lord, love the Lord enough to where her life looks like it. Is she immersed in the word? Is she connected to a church? Does she understand fundamental concepts like grace, mercy, forgiveness, righteousness, um, holiness, 
does she understand that she is set apart and that we have to look a little different than the world? Um, that's, that's step one. Uh, step two, and this is more of a mechanism. This isn't, this is biblical, but at the same time, like I want you to imagine me stepping away from my imaginary pulpit here. Um, I look for a woman that respects her husband and let me tell you why. And this is really predominant in the military culture. If I meet you and within three minutes before you even know my last name, you're running down your husband in front of me talking about his character. Now, let me be clear. I make fun of my husband for the way that he loads our dishwasher. This guy can reassemble a ground radio, but can't put all the cups in the right spot. I mean, it makes no sense to me. Anyway, <laughs> so I'm not talking about stuff like that. I'm talking about character. I'm talking about respect. Because this is the hard truth, ladies and gentlemen. If, he, if this person doesn't respect their spouse, you're getting a glimpse into what's going to happen when you irritate them. They are going to run down your character and they have no loyalty. So key thing there. So one, they love the Lord and it looks like it. Two, they love their man and it looks like it and sounds like it. Three, they love their family time like I love my family time. I'm all about good boundaries. So I want women that love their family time so that they're not upset when I want to spend my family time with my family. Um, and then last but not least, I look for a woman that serves. Um, a woman that volunteers and gives of herself is usually not self-centered. Uh, those are kind of the things that I look for in people that I want to build community with. Because, man, I, and, and I don't remember where I heard this, but we're the average sum of all the people that we hang around. Um, mm -hmm. This is a good thing, people. Check who you're hanging around because sometimes people be crazy and you'll catch it. <laughs> you know, I was thinking as you were talking through all amazing tips, I think that are so important. As you're talking through some of the things that you try to think of when you're wanting to think about whether or not you're going to connect with somebody and ultimately be vulnerable with them and form a friendship with that person. Because you mentioned inner circle. And I know here in just a minute, you're going to talk a little bit more about what is an inner circle versus those that may not be in that inner circle. Um, but, you know, I was thinking about, um, going back to those who are really wrestling with needing community, but just maybe not in that place where they're sold yet on whether or not they should jump back into that. Um, because I know it's such a huge epidemic right now. Um, I was reflecting on what some of those spouses might be thinking when they're hearing you say that. And so I'm not playing devil's advocate at all. I'm just thinking about coming from that weariness. You know, the Weathers family, we're moving on average every year and a half right mm -hmm. now. So it can be really difficult to um, move to that new location, jump into that church, really getting involved, um, trying to find that community when you know you're going to leave it so soon. So um, I know that you talked a little bit about, I forgot how you worded it, but um, you talked a little bit about how community is really grounded in the gospel, that those are two that go together. Tell everybody a little bit about you know, if community is this life or death thing, if we need it this badly, um, if we're, if we're called by God to be a part of community, meaning if we are isolated in our homes and we are not experiencing that community at all, there's, there's something that we're not experiencing with God. There's something that we're not experiencing about what he wants to teach us. Explain a little bit about why community is so important that it should be worth investing. In. Absolutely. Where is that so I kind of want to, before I, before I jump into that topic, I want to throw in a disclaimer for all of you that are hearing this message and you are struggling with depression, with anxiety, uh, with those hard things. I, I just want to talk to you before I start saying what I'm saying. Um, after my second son was born, I struggled with crippling postpartum depression. I gained 40 pounds. I couldn't leave my house. There was a season for about two years where the idea of living in community gave me panic attacks because I just could not find a way <laughs> to break out of my house. I mean, and, and really I didn't discover that it was postpartum until well after it was over because I was not in community. There was no one to say, Hey, sweet girl, when's the last time you took a shower? How long have you been wearing that shirt? When's the last time you left your house and how old are those dishes? Um, so, so as I begin to say what I'm about to say, know that I'm not talking about your circumstance. Uh, know that I'm talking about people that are not in the throes of a daily battle to make it to bedtime. Um, for those of you in that season, my deepest prayer is that you would find one person. Find one person, be it a counselor, be it a friend, be it your pastor's wife, 
anybody, if this is you and you are fighting the tears right now and you're thinking this woman is talking to me, find one person and say, you know, I'm really fighting hard right now and I just need someone to hear me. And I guarantee, I guarantee, especially if you find someone in the church to say that too. There's solace there. And that's the first step to community, but do not put yourself in a position where you're going to pressure yourself to build a community of 30 women around the word. That is just not, it's one step at a time. Take a deep breath. Know that even though I am not there with you, that I see you, that I love you. And that if I were there with you, I would listen. I would give you encouragement. And then I would help you do your dishes because I know how awful that season is. So if this is you, find one person and talk to one person and just know that this is a season and this is not a life sentence. Um, and that community is still good and it still can happen. Uh, that today it starts with one person. So there's my, so beautiful, such a beautiful message. And I'm so glad that you said that. Um, and those that are listening, I went through that as well. I went through postpartum as well. Not fun. Mine was more anxiety. Um, and so, and that's part of community. I think that's one of the things that I hear you saying is that, um, when you get out there and you put yourself out there and say, my life is not perfect, I'm really struggling right yes. now. That's when you have that one person or those three people or the six people at that table that you were talking about at the beginning that go, I have been there. Um, I know what that's like. I am going to do your dishes because I wouldn't know otherwise to do them if you don't tell me where you're at. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was what was amazing to me. My first, um, our first assignment to experience the military community for what it is, because you're right when you said in the beginning that there's something different about this community. We have somewhat of an understanding, I think, on a very basic level, whether you are close with God or not, or whether you're listening to this right now and going, I don't know if I want to jump into that pool over there, you know, but there's something that we get about this military community um, as far as meeting each other, needing, um, are your neighbor to get through a tough time. We understand community. And I think that's why a lot of you listening right now are struggling and why it's hard for you to put yourself out there again, because you need it so bad. You don't want to leave it again. And so, um, I, I agree with exactly what you said in the beginning, Megan, that we um, are different in our understanding and we when we do get together and when we are vulnerable and when we do support each other, it's on a whole other level that before being in the military, I had not yet seen in the church. And so being able to bring that to a church mm. group or whether that's um, you bringing yourself there and introducing that to a whole other community that's not seen that level of vulnerability or whether it's you finding another group of military spouses at an if gathering military table to deepen that community yourself. Um, it's a win-win for everybody. So um, I know I interrupted you there for a second because I know you were going to talk more <laughs> about um, community and you gave that caveat. So if you still remember what you were going to say, I'm going to pass it back to yeah, you. Yeah. Well, I think that caveat was important. I think that sometimes you hear these really excited and passionate people talking about how to live and you want to do it so bad, um, but there just are limitations and, and seasons of waiting. And so I, I wanted to acknowledge that before I, I talk about what I think healthy community building really looks like in, in the context of the church. And so um, as we're talking about, you know, the fear of building something and just leaving it, um, man, the book of Acts is one of my favorite books of the Bible. You have these heavy hitting titans of the faith traveling all over the world, proclaiming God's truth and building these beautiful communities. And, and really uh, the one that touched me the most, the apostle Paul built faith communities everywhere, right? Um, but the elders in Ephesus were his boys. And um, at our last station, two of my best friends, uh, Catherine and Katie, if you're listening, what's up? I love you. Uh, but these two women, uh, they were like my right and left hands. Uh, we all brought something awesome and maybe a little weird to the table. Uh, but together we did mission like it was our job. It was one of the greatest joys and seasons of my life to break down walls to to build faith communities and and to do it with these women at either side of me I, I almost felt a little invincible and so when we left 
um, it was earth shaking. I mean, I lost my, essentially my right and left hands. I'm, I am, am in this new place. I don't have my community anymore. And, and I was just reminded of Paul. And here we see Paul bring these guys together. He tells them, you'll never see my face again. And they held hands, they prayed, they wept, and they said goodbye. They laid hands on this guy's shoulder, commended him into the service of the Lord, and knew it was over. Now, we don't have it that extreme. I mean, I, I see these girls just about every day, video chat, coffees, you know, Facebook Messenger. Thank you for the technological advances of the day where we can still have coffee meets. But um, it is different. But you see, even in the New Testament, Paul unabashedly crashed into these communities, built them quickly, and with they went fast and they went deep. And then the brother left. And so we can, we can look at that and find encouragement in in the fact that we're not alone in that and, and that it's biblical and that um, we're, we're called to a little bit of a higher purpose here. And while um, it is hard, again, one of those, you know, combating that doctrine of, man, being a Christian is great all the time. Um, community is kind of one of those things that we are compelled to live in, whether it's hard or not, whether we want to or not, whether we want to leave it or not. I mean, I, look at it this way. If you believe that God establishes our borders, then you also believe that every PCS is God-ordained. Every station has people that are waiting for you, specifically. There are women to your left, to your right, that would never know you otherwise, and God is arranging it. And when God arranges things, even if it's uncomfortable and even if it's a little painful, the proper response is to lean in. And so if you're, if you're, if you're hearing this and you're like, man, uh, building community is hard. I, I just got here. I really don't want to do it. Um, the the two-month PCS depress is real. I feel you. My husband knows if I start watching binge, if I start binge watching Desperate Housewives, I'm a little depressed. <laughs> so uh, that's when he takes my device from me and makes me go and get coffee with a stranger. <laughs> um, so So think about those things. Think about the fact that, yes, it's tough, uh, but man, it's compelled. I mean, it's gospel compelled. And so um, it should convict you a little bit if, you, if you're not, um, not in a guilt, shame way, but man, God is so glorified through the unified lives of others. And it should be our goal to live in such a way that others see him. And so I, I would say, if you're at the beginning of this journey, get plugged into a church. From there, get plugged into a church program, like a Bible study or a mommy meetup or a mops group, anything to start. And then just allow those relationships and obedience to go very deep, very quickly. Brene Brown says something that I think is just one of my favorite quotes. Uh, she says that sometimes we carry around a 20 ton shield of perfection, thinking that it'll help us avoid pain. Uh, or judgment, but really all it does is, is, is prevent us from being seen. So as you, as you think about what those relationships look like in a deeper manner, it's really honesty and vulnerability and authenticity, um, which is really hard to come by since we're all so fond of uh, pretending we have all our stuff together, right? For real, for real. And so you were going to talk with us today a little bit more about how do we manage these friendships? How do we um, invest in these relationships in different ways. I know one thing that military spouses for, for sure. Um, I'm not sure about first responder spouses because you guys are staying in communities a little bit longer than for than military are. Um, <clears throat> but in this lifestyle, we experience life on a very real level. It is a very, um, good versus evil type of experience on a daily basis, especially first responders. Um, life is, and that's what I love about this culture is that life is real and it's gritty. Um, and that means that our relationships can go very real and very gritty quickly when we want them to, especially military spouses. Um, and so that doesn't necessarily mean that we're not still putting on that persona of perfection, right? It's, I think that as military spouses, if we are diving into relationships quickly, it's a little bit out of desperation. That's what I've seen, at least. It's a little out of desperation. Um, and you're going to talk with us a little bit about how going into that without boundaries can be actually... Um, destructive later on. So why don't you share with us a little bit about what you've been thinking about as how do we actually build community in a way that's actually healthy? Oh, okay. Here we go. So 
Um, I, not too long ago, I wrote an article and it was called, I have friendship PTSD. Now, all of us have that one, that one friend that we are like, I am never, ever, ever doing that again. Um, that was triple dipped in some crazy and I didn't see it coming. And when it hit, I was like, whoa. <laughs> so I, I joke about it a little bit because obviously, you know, PTSD, clinical PTSD and friendship PTSD are, are it's a lighthearted conversation. But what I mean by friendship PTSD is that because I have been so deeply burned, I am a little gun shy about jumping in without boundaries ever again. Because out of desperation, like you're talking about, sometimes we're like, hi, my name is Megan. What are you doing for Thanksgiving? Would you like to be my emergency <laughs> contact? I know I just met you at my mailbox, but do you want to be my best friend? Uh, you want to go to Target? You want to go to Chick-fil-A? You want to hang out every day for the next six months because we're so both lonely, we're going to die? Like, let's just do this. <laughs> and then six months in, you're like, man, this girl's got some conflict issues. And, oh, I didn't know that she gossiped that much or... Wow, she sure doesn't like that person over there. I hope she doesn't ever get mad at me. So you start yes. realizing because you jump in without any kind of context for what this person is like, um, you tend to end up in a little bit of hot water, don't we? Um, but there's a couple of scriptures I want us to talk about today. And there's a couple of things I want us to look at as examples. Biblically, there are levels of friendship. We're going to explore the fact that friendship has varying levels of intimacy. And just because, and even in spite of the fact that we are so desperately desperate, I mean, it, it deserved to be said twice. I mean, like we're crazy. It's hard. So because we are so in desperate need of friendship, we also have to be desperately guarded, don't we? Um, and not in a sense that we're anxious or we overthink, but we really need to think about clear boundaries and what we are going to allow in our intimate circles of friends. Now, um, like all things, if we ever want a good example, right, Jesus is where we go. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless, atoning life. And if anybody did it right, Home Slice did it right. And yeah, I just said Jesus was my home slice, but where are you? <laughs> Y'all, I, I think like I talk, and if you were to hear my inner monologue, you would think that I am crazy. Like we're close. We got a thing, yeah. right? Yeah. My inner monologue I mean, is fun. And I also have a uh, inner soundtrack. <laughs> so when things happen, music plays in my head. It's really fun. I okay. love it. I love so um, Jesus had different levels of intimacy. I mean, we can see that there were 72 disciples. There were even more followers. There were 12 intimate apostles. And out of those 12 guys, Jesus had three, right? Jesus had Peter, James, and John. Now there are uh, a few scriptures where you can read about them. Mark 3, 16 through 17. Uh, James and John were brothers, sons of Zebedee. And, and as a side note, these two are kind of my favorite guys. And let me tell you why. These guys were so angry all the time. They were loud, rambunctious, dudes, dudes. And again, uh, if you could see me and, and, and knew kind of my favorite things, and if you follow me on Facebook, you know that I'm totally obsessed with food and I might as well be a guy. Uh, that just, I, that's just who I am as a person. And, and fundamentally, my default setting is, is anger, right? So if something's off, I'm angry about it. And so these guys were known as the Sons of Thunder. Jesus gave these guys nicknames. Like, I am so curious to see when I get to heaven, if Jesus is going to be like, come on up here, firecracker, what you doing? You know, like, it's crazy. So here's James and John, brothers, the Sons of Thunder. And then Peter was a fisherman as well. And so these guys dropped everything they knew to follow Jesus. And it doesn't say why Jesus chose these men to be his closest friends, uh, but we see that he does. And so, you know, we read in Mark 5, 37, I'm, I'm just going to read a snippet here. Um, this is the context. So Jesus um, is, is coming to uh, heal a daughter of a synagogue leader. The, the synagogue leader is saying, teacher, my, my daughter is dead um, and, or is sick, and, and I believe she will die. I need your help. And so Jesus, in verse 37, 
says he did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the house and they saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing. And he went in and he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. So they laughed at him, but he put them all outside. He took the child's mother and father and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. And then he took the little girl by the hand and he said, Talitha Kumi, which translated as little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk. At this, they were utterly astounded. He then gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, um, there's a lot there, but, but in this, the essence of time, um, I want to focus on two things. Uh, one, Jesus is doing some hard work and uh, meaningful work, um, and he brings these guys along with them to see what he can do. And so he brings them in and he says to this little girl, and it's in Aramaic, Talitha Kumi, and, and really that could be almost translated in modern English as sweet baby, little girl, come to me. That is an intimate moment. There's no sweeter moment. Jesus is standing there over the corpse of a, of a, of a little girl and he says, sweet baby, wake up. He's, it's, it's very, very, very important to understand that this is an intimate moment. This is not for show. This was not Jesus at a platform. No one carried this girl in on a mat. He is in closed doors sharing an intimate moment with people that he has intimate connection with, right? And so the second thing is that he orders them that no one should know about this, right? He doesn't want anyone to be like, oh, man, he brings dead people back what what's that about yeah y'all know what happens okay so then we can go over to chapter nine and this one's a little more difficult and i'm not going to really unpack a lot of this because it's a lot but but in chapter nine we're going to check out in verse two it says after six days jesus took peter james and john and led them up to a mountain by themselves he transfigured in front of him and his clothes became dazzling extremely white as no launderer on earth could whiten them Elijah appeared with them with Moses and they were talking with Jesus and Peter said to Jesus rabbi it's good for us to be here let us set up three, three shelters one for you one for Moses and one for Elijah because he didn't know what to say since they were terrified <laughs> and a cloud appeared and overshadowing a voice came from the cloud this is my beloved son listen to him Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Whoa! Okay, talk about, uh, you know, a light show and party on the mountain there, man. Elijah shows up, Moses, they're like, we need some tents and some Cheetos. This is getting crazy. <laughs> so this is what I want to say. There's two things that are very similar and anytime you hear something repeated in scripture, you better sit up and pay attention. And he ordered them not to tell anyone. What does that tell us? These guys were loyal and trustworthy. Think about that when we look at who we let into our, our, our inner circles, our innermost circles. Are they trustworthy and are they loyal? It doesn't say anything else about these men. There's not this giant text about how cool these guys were. Um, it does speak something uh, rather profound to my heart that two of these guys were the angriest mothers on the planet, calling down fire from heaven on people that rejected Jesus. Like, I feel like that sometimes. <laughs> so I, I get you guys. I get you, James and John. Can't wait to meet you. So when we, when we think about this in, in relationship to our own friendships do we hold that standard that they have to be loyal and that they have to be trustworthy if we don't maybe that's why we're weary so while i don't think i mean look at his inner circle judas is one of the 12 man neither loyal nor trustworthy right i'm not saying exclude these guys i'm just saying that intimacy love trust miracle working things come out of people that have love and trustworthiness in their relationships. So I, I want to, I, I want to give Corey a second cause I just threw a lot at y'all guy, at y'all. No, <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking and processing so much. And so 
part of it is part of what I'm, I'm hearing and what I'm kind of reading through it with you is, um, you're right in that, you know, here he's got 12 disciples. He's got, you know, these 12 men that he loves. He, he eats with them. He camps with them, right? He's, he's having bonfires and eating fish with them. Like he's doing life with these 12 disciples. But what you're saying is that there is these three guys who really have proven that loyalty, mm-hmm. who've proven that love, who've proven that trustworthiness. And, and by the way, you know, Peter is also an interesting character. He's all over the place, like his whole freaking out on the mountain. Like, I don't know what to say. So let's just build some tents. Like you got to give it to the guy that he's doing the best he can. Like, do you, like, you can just imagine Jesus and Moses and Elijah having this little, you know, three person, like little circle conversation. They haven't seen each other for a while, you know, (laughs) and now all of a sudden they're like on the mountain and you're like, you don't want to interrupt because it's like, they're like, reuniting, I guess. And you know, what are they talking about? And so you kind of be like, ah, uh, third wheel here, fifth wheel here. Like, what do we do? <laughs> like you're wait- he can just picture him waiting instruction from Jesus of like, why are we here? What do you want us to be doing with this right now? Um, should I keep my mouth shut or should I be like, so my name is Peter, right? right? Like go for right. And thing. lightning and thunder and the heavens are opening up and God is talking. God is like, like, that's what God is basically saying. Like, shut up, shut your mouth, uh-huh. right? It's not about you right now. Shut your mouth and listen to what my son has to say. Um, you know, so, you know, this is something that Jesus is really trusting to these guys for a reason. And I think about how that relates to us and our intimate relationships with good friends. You know, there is that taking the veil down. It's taking that shield down that you're talking about with Brene Brown. And it's, these are the friends that have proven that trustworthiness, proven that loyalty to you. Um, they're the people that you take the shield down for. And, and there are things that maybe you're revealing in your life that maybe aren't necessary. Maybe sometimes it is bleeding on them, but sometimes it's just opening your heart to reveal what's really there, that you're not perfect, that you don't have it all together, that you are struggling with that postpartum, that you really are struggling. And it's something that you're saying to them, don't mention this to anybody right? This is between you and I. This is something that I just need to process because I trust you, you're loyal, and you know that that person isn't going to share it with everybody. Now, obviously, this story has been shared because we are reading it in scripture. But in that time, at that moment, Jesus needed something to happen for a reason. And it also needed to happen with those people that he trusted and loved. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in that timing, they would go and share that when it was time. Um, I think a lot of that is because he didn't need things to the timing of God, the will of God to be rushed faster than the way it needed to happen. But it does make us think, how do we um, respond differently. And are we opening up to those friends that are on in that inner circle? Um, and the last thing that I'll say before I kind of pass it back to you, Megan, is just in my own life in journal, one of the things that I've thought about a lot in the last six months, like I said, we have moved a lot. I'm naturally an introvert. I can tell Megan, you are an, an amazing extrovert. And it's really hard for introverts to put themselves out there again and again. I have that conversation a lot with a lot of introverts. And I'll just speak to those out there that are like, I, you know, I'm fine. I'm fine by myself. Like I'm fine doing my thing. I'm fine with not interjecting into that church or that small group again. And I'm just going to speak to that group and that the last six months, I really realized that I found myself in those desperate places when I would not be reaching out to my inner circle. And you guys know who that inner circle is. Everybody knows those one, two, three people in your life that have known you forever, or maybe you, maybe you did recently find them and you did recognize this is that person, right? This is my person. And you know who that is for me. I realized I needed to be more proactive with my inner circle than I had been. I had been allowing myself to, to get to that deficit, to get to that place of desperation when I felt like, and I think we do it accidentally. I think we go long enough without community that we think that we're fine and we can sustain ourselves on our own strength. And then we find ourselves in a deficit and in a place of desperation. And then we like completely turn crazy. We really turn crazy. And that's when we're more susceptible to um, bleeding on that person that's not in your inner circle and letting them in before they've established that safety and security and that loyalty. 
And so what I had to do is kind of rewind the clock a little bit and go, you know what, I need to be more proactive. And so I reached out to my inner circle recently and I said, you know what, we're going to have regular scheduled, like no more of this, hey, let's call once a month and never schedule it. Like they need to be, especially for those introverts, regularly scheduled time with your inner circle so that you have it proactively before you get desperate. And what I realized was that when I had that proactive time, I don't find myself in the deficit anymore. So I, that was the first thought that came to my mind, Megan. I love that, it. Um, beautiful, beautiful um, example of Jesus having that inner circle. And maybe that's one of the things that we can take away is who do we have in that inner circle? If not, you need to start thinking about who that inner circle is. Maybe even testing the waters to have not hugely vulnerable conversations, but take that step to test the waters to see if that person can be your inner circle and then being proactive about it. I love it. And, and you know, the, the thing that you said that really jumped out at me about having that regular scheduled time, you know, um, I, if, if you knew me, you would know how fly by the seat of my pants I am. I am all over the place, pedal to the metal, go, 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 go. So one of the things that, that a friend of mine did, and she was so good at it, and she just inspired me with it, every week, her and five women met on Wednesday night from six to eight, every week, day in, day out, rain or shine, and they asked each other five questions. Um, they would ask each other, what are you learning in, in your quiet time with the Lord? What is your relationship with your husband looking like? How are you relating to your kids? Is there anything you need to confess? And then finally, mm. how can we pray over you? Now, when she first told me that, I'm like, that is some real deal stuff. I don't talk about that stuff. We can't talk about that in groups like that. That's not okay. Um, but then I got a little brave and I'm like, all right, Allison, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna replicate this. Let's see what this looks like. And so four of us got together. And every week, day in, day out, those hard questions. And man, you want to talk about tear fest some days. But I tell you what, we didn't run into deficit. Uh, it was all out there. The, the things that would have strongholds within us were verbalized. The, the things that we thought we had to fight alone, we fought arm in arm, linked up, ready for battle together. And so... Um, I, I just want to piggyback off what you were saying and say, yes, do that, do that, have that uh, set time where you are scheduling in and making a priority accountability. And, and, and really one thing I wanted to talk about, you know, that was, has been on my heart for a while. And, and I want to tell the story about how we kind of came up with this thing. A few years ago, uh, a friend of mine, her name is Sarah Horn. Uh, she wrote a Bible study called Preparing My Heart for Deployment. Um, we uh, taught together at a women's, a women's ministry conference, and she brought up something called the Dunbar number. So the Dunbar number, um, it, it was a researcher who found uh, essentially how many people you can healthily have relationship with. And so after studying that, you know, we kind of made some additions to it. So I want to I share what we had found. So I have, I have a very close friend, and she doesn't mind that I share this story because I've shared it many, many times. Um, she sat down with me and she was really frustrated because uh, Katie is a, is a giver. So if you're familiar with the Enneagram, she's a two. She's a hard two. She wants to help anybody, everybody. If you need something, she's your girl. But she was running herself into the ground and she just looks across the table at me. And she's like, I'm so tired. And I can't say yes to one more person. I can't even do my own stuff because I'm doing everyone else's stuff. And I said, all right, we're, we've had enough of this. And, and if, if uh, uh, you know how obsessive my mind works, man, I am a chart, list, picture, illustrative, verbal processor. So we broke out the whiteboard and we started talking about some stuff. So um, if you're a note taker, grab yourself a scratch sheet of paper because this is a fun exercise. Okay. So I want you to imagine a bullseye. There is an inner circle, so you have one circle. On the outside of that, you have a slightly bigger circle. And on the outside of that, you have a final big circle. So it's really three circles kind of layered on top of each other. Now, in the tiny circle, according to Dunbar's research, 
you can have about five people that you are in intimate relationships. So in that tiny inner circle, you can write the number five. In the circle outside of that, the number is 15. About 15. And then the last number is about 150. So you have three circles, one with five, one with 15, and then the outer level with 150. Now, can I just say, can I just say I'm so glad you didn't say like one, three, and five. No. Right, because we have people scattered all over Facebook and all over the country as military families. So I'm so glad those numbers are yeah, bigger. those numbers are bigger. So, um, and pardon the background noise. The lawn maintenance people always pick the perfect times to fix my front yard. So we got a leaf blower going in the background, but we're going to push in. So in that tiny five, I want you to think about those people that are in your intimate circle of friends. Now, if you are married, I want you to X out that five, and I want you to write three. If you're married, your spouse gets two spots, right? Because they deserve twice your attention. Now, you can safely have healthy, deep, intimate relation relationships with about three people. Now, if you wanna argue in your high capacity, go ahead and put four. I love you. I see you. Okay, so those are the people that you can say yes to all the time with very little to no restriction, right? These are people that if they're like, hey, can you watch my kids? Yes. Hey, can you drive me to the airport that's two and a half hours away? Yes. Hey, can you watch my dog for 10 days in a row while I go to Disney? Yes. These are the people that you can say yes to without abandon. Why? Because you know that they love you as much as you love them and they will return the favor. It will not be one-sided. These are people that love you and that you love. All right. Now I want you to move out to that bigger circle of 15 people. These are friends that reciprocate. If you, if they asked you how you were doing, you would be honest. You would say, um, I'm doing great. Or man, today is the Mondayest Monday ever. It's terrible. You would be honest with these people. Now, these are people that you can say yes to sometimes when it fits your schedule and when you have capability or capacity. Can you watch my kids? Well, I don't know. I have an appointment that day, so no, I'm sorry. I, I can't move anything around. I, I can't try me next time. Or, hey, could you drive me to the airport that's four hours away? Not girlfriend, I have responsibilities, but I love you. I love you. I'm sorry, I, I can't do that. Um, or, hey, can you keep my dog for 10 days even though you don't have dogs and it's going to tear up your house and they're going to eat your shoes? No, I'm sorry, I can't do that. We don't have that kind of relationship, right? <laughs> uh, very important because this is where you guys mess up. You say yes to all these people. You're saying yes to people that you see once every six months and you want to help and you want to do good stuff and then you wonder why you're tired all the time. That last circle is about 150 people and these are the people that you wave at. At church, you see them in a parking lot and you're like, oh, hey, Susan, what's happening? But these people ain't your friends. They know your name, but that's about it. So when you think about boundaries and how you exercise those different levels of intimacy, it begins with categorizing people into the right spots in your life. If you have people that do a lot for you, that you do a lot for, that you really love, top five. If you like them, they're cool to hang out with. You go to the movies every once in a while and, and you, you know you really want to get to know them a little better, but they're not top five and they're not acquaintances, you can put them in the 15. And then you got your 150 of people that you can wave at that are interchangeable that, you know, it, it makes no never mind if you never see them again. Uh, it's important to know who is who, because if you've got someone in the top five and they've got you and their 150, something's imbalanced and you're doing way more for them than they're ever going to do for you. And it's going to exhaust you. So let me ask you this, Megan, yeah. um, cause we'll wrap up here in just a minute, which man, I could do like three hours, um, with you. Um, if, if you have your three, right, you have your three in your in the middle. Mm -hmm. And I, I can picture a lot of people um, where, like me, some of my closest inner circle friends are scattered, right? Which is why I have to have a scheduled, um, some type of FaceTime call with a friend in Germany, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they're scattered because they're moving all the time. 
And yet, you know, then there's a 15 that you might set boundaries with. And I picture as we are moving into these new communities or starting to get involved in the church, starting to get involved in these small groups where we are starting to bring those shields down and, and not be perfect and, and start to have what true community is, which is messy, which takes us back to what we were talking about in the beginning is that we are built for community. Community is where we experience the messiness, but it's also where we learn to love. It's also where we learn to give grace, how we learn to ask for forgiveness, how we learn to be held accountable, which is why God asks us to be in community. How do we do that as military spouses specifically, or as military families specifically, when um, we need to go to that new community and do that with the people that are not our inner three. Oh, and such a good question. Okay. So my inner three, one is in Washington and one is still in Biloxi. Well, two are really still in Biloxi. I had, I had two, uh, really close friends and then a third entered in and we just loved her. Well, Terry, what's up? So, uh, what we did is, um, after we moved, we scheduled that time, but then that also opened up those spots in my three, because at one point, all of us were together all the time. We're watching each other's kids, bringing each other lunch, meals when they're sick. Um, when they're not physically with you, although it feels like, man, these are my top five and they still are, their spot is a little ghosted. And what that means is you have the capacity to love someone well. And I think, I mean, there's helpful resources, the five love languages, those ways that you give and receive love. And for those of you who don't know, Chick-fil-A is my love language. Um, you drop off an eight count chicken nugget with fries and a Coke and I'll be your best friend. So <laughs> true story. <laughs> that's how you get in. The that's how you get in girlfriend. And if you throw in Polynesian sauce, that's next level. So uh, what I think about those friendships and their ghosted status, Katie and I get up every morning um, and, and we're committed. It's seven o'clock my time, 6 a.m. her time. And we have our coffee together just about every morning. Every morning we set aside 30 to 45 minutes to catch up. We're crazy people. So we set up and have coffee in the morning. Catherine and I, it's usually in the afternoon. But we don't have uh, that insane amount of, of time that we dedicate in physical FaceTime. So you have the space to make room for people that are in your actual community. And so when I moved to Warner Robins and I'm still having coffee with Katie, afternoon catch-ups every once in a while with Catherine, um, I met a woman named Pam and she lives down the road from me. Uh, Pam's actually watching my kids right now so that I can do this awesome podcast. So we make the room by understanding that those people are not gone, but now we just have a little more capacity to love and open up. So I think the answer is to always keep your circle broken. Sarah used to say that all the time. Uh, always keep your circle broken. Never keep it full and filled, but there's always room to maneuver. And so as we, as we move into new communities and you leave your tribe and you start establishing new ones, definitely stay in touch and schedule that in. But also understand that they're not taking up nearly as much time as they did and that you've got capacity to love well. No, I love, love, love that you said um, that these friendships can, can be ghosted or that you can find yourself without. I think that it could, it could not be a more brilliant answer for exactly the reason that you described, because I think that it's easy for us sometimes to go, well, I only have my inner circle and we can use that um, as an opportunity to disconnect and not re-engage. Mm -hmm. And because we go, I have my people, I don't want any more people than that. And, but then they're all over the place and you're not getting direct access to them all the time. You're not being fed by that relationship. And we find ourselves again, going back to what you said in the beginning, needing community and being called into a deeper level of relationship building. And so I love the fact that you said, you know, you can have these relationships that are in your inner circle and they might be in other places, but here where you're at, wherever you're at, you have that capacity because I really want people to hear what you're saying, that if they want to have this if gathering military, you know, table of six with an empty seat waiting for that next person, that kind of community requires you to open your heart. But what is it that you feel like military spouses really need to hear right now? I, I guess if I had one thing to say, it would just be to impart some encouragement. This life is so difficult. I mean, the winds and waves of deployment, PCS changes, job changes, job losses, 
uh, challenging issues with our families. I mean, it is just seasons will change. Friendships will change. They will grow. They will fall away. They will be risen up. But that there's one constant in all of this, and that is Jesus Christ. Um, he is your constant. He is your constant best friend. He is your biggest advocate, um, even in seasons where it is unbearable. Stay connected. Stay connected to him through the word. Stay connected to him through worship. Stay connected to him through a body of believers. And, and anything is bearable with Jesus at the center. It may not be fun, but it's bearable. As we wrap up and, and as Corey closes us out, there's something so beautiful in understanding that in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus laid down his life and took it back up again, in that moment, he saw your face. He saw your face and said, man, that is worth it. You're worth knowing. You're worth having in community. You have value. The cross says it all about you, that you are loved, that you are valuable, and that you're worth it. That's the gospel truth, girlfriend. Thanks for listening to the Life Giver Podcast. If you're enjoying these conversations as being free of advertising or sponsorship, please help me by spreading the word to other military and first responder families that might benefit from the show. If you'd like to find out more about me or Life Giver, you can find more information at www.coreyweathers.com or life-giver.org.